You're listening to the Nutmeg Arena by the Nutmeg Assist. Hello and welcome to this week's TNA podcast with both myself, Shankar, and our review of the European Champions League final and the Europa League final between Liverpool and Tottenham and Chelsea and Arsenal. Shankar, how are you? I'm good, Chris. How are you? Been a while. Very well, very well. Uh, Very much looking forward to reviewing these finals. Both both games were very different. Uh, Totally different games. Yeah. I think the anticipation to both games were different as well, especially being especially over here in the UK. Mm -hmm. How how were they viewed uh, in Australia? Ah, in Australia. (laughs) Especially the Champions League final was a big thing here because um, I reckon there are a lot of Liverpool fans around here in Melbourne. Yeah. And all over, uh, not just Melbourne, I mean, throughout Australia, I do know that there are a lot of uh, uh, Liverpool fans around. So, so sadly, <laughs> not many for Spurs, but but yeah, all of them were looking forward to that match. And and funny thing is, um, I was outside uh, at a party uh, with my friend uh, just before the night of the final. So by the time we finished the party, and then I was heading back home towards the match at home um, because I didn't want to go into a pub, a pub or club where. Uh, it's filled with either Liverpool fans or Tottenham fans and then sit, you know, without any reaction. <laughs> yeah. And it could get, because uh, these kind of crowd, uh, they do get a bit, uh, you know, a uh, bit too aggressive. Yeah. So I didn't want to be a part of that, especially <laughs> when I'm not a fan of that club. I mean, I mean, I can watch the game, but yeah, I can't react to anything. So, yeah. Uh, so what happened was uh, while we were on our way back home, um, there were a lot of uh, Liverpool fans heading into the city where the match was being uh, broadcasted. So, right. so yeah, it, it were, people were looking forward, but I couldn't see too many Tottenham fans. But yeah, mm-hmm. uh, Liverpool, yes, because people were looking forward to that game. Yeah, well, you can especially imagine. after the last year's final, I think. Yeah. Well, you can imagine the uh, the media frenzy over in this country, uh, given that all four oh, yes. were from Premier League, very much uh, the Premier League is back on top, uh, mm. back as being a top league around Europe. Yeah. Um, obviously, I live, in, I live in Liverpool, so the city itself mm. uh, was very much... That's you, especially in the last couple of days, was uh, very much in a frenzy. I don't know if you've seen any photographs online of Liverpool, the city centre, on the night of the final. It was. Oh like, yes, I did. I did. Yeah. 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 I mean, <laughs> uh, it, the, the it, amount it, of people that turn out uh, for these uh, kind of, you know, um, not not just the games. I mean, the pre pre final, um, all the events that the clubs host. It's just. Uh, it's unbelievable because I, I've not experienced it live. All I've seen is through the media and on the TV. So, uh, yeah, I, I can imagine how it'd be, <laughs> yeah. especially if you're living there. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty crazy stuff. Pretty, pretty crazy. Mm-hmm. Right. The match itself, I don't know about yourself, 
but before the game, when I envisaged it in my in my head, I, I, when I was thinking about how how both uh, teams were going to line up, I think Liverpool's team or first eleven pretty much picked itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tottenham's uh, was a bit more up, up in the air. Who was going to play defensively? Who was going to play uh, up front? But when I when I was thinking about the game before before the match started, in my mind, I thought Liverpool were going to be on the front foot and dominate possession, and Tottenham were going to sit back and try and counter them. Now the the game itself was completely different. In fact, it was it was the other way around. Yeah. <laughs> now I don't know if that was something that was planned by Jurgen Klopp or whether it was the early goal that maybe dictated that. But I, I, I was very surprised by the tactics from both managers in the game. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So you've already mentioned it, Chris. Um, I was also expecting you. Like, you have these uh, conversations with your mates and uh, fellow fans of not just Liverpool, like football as well. Um, I remember we were talking about the final Liverpool versus Tottenham. Uh, whatever I said was the exact thing that you just said because I was expecting Liverpool to go from the start I didn't expect them to sit back and then wait for an opportunity to try and counter or maybe sit back and then go for a um, you know create an opportunity and score Yeah. Um, but like you said it was just the other way around especially or it could it could even be the fact that uh, Liverpool got that 1-0 lead after the first minute or second minute. It could yeah. be that as well. But um, so I, I did read that um, uh, Klopp and Liverpool, they, they did play a team from Benfica, yeah. Benfica B team, yeah. uh, who plays simil- a similar kind of system to Tottenham. And it's, it's, uh, it's actually a good thing that he did in a sense because uh, they tried to recreate the Benfica team tried to recreate how Tottenham play on a usual basis and then Liverpool tried to adapt their game to that game uh, to the Tottenham kind of game so I'm I'm pretty sure that um, Klopp would have during, I'm just guessing, uh, during the friendly with Benfica, he probably, uh, Benfica B, he probably would have gone with his usual style of play uh, yeah. based on what Tottenham can offer. Because uh, I do know that uh, from Benfica, the, the Benfica B manager, what was his name? Renato something, some Renato Paiva. Yeah. yeah. So he did mention that they created a few situations where it's pretty much similar to the Tottenham system, and then Liverpool were trying to adapt their game based on that. Yeah. So going into the match, I think Liverpool would have been prepared for the usual Tottenham game. But uh, like you said, the first uh, couple of minutes and the goal could have maybe changed the approach. Not sure that it could be the. Could be um, either way. I mean, <laughs> you, you never know because if, if the first goal wouldn't have gone in, or say, suppose let's say uh, it was never a penalty and it was not, uh, or it was a save by Lloris who dived yeah. in the right direction. So uh, 
maybe things would have been like how we imagined. Yeah. To be in front foot. Yeah, it was one of them. When it happened, uh, and obviously the goal went in, and then I thought, I don't know whether, I mean, this what I'm about to say now is probably showing the tactical evolution of Liverpool or Klopp or Liverpool under Klopp in the last 12 months. Because I think if you rewind back 12 months to last season, given the mm. nature of the way Liverpool beat Roma and Liverpool beat Manchester City in those games in Anfield, mm. I actually think Liverpool would have went in for the kill as soon as that mm. first goal would have went in. Because last season, in Europe especially, and even in some Premier League games, I mean, they were winning games within the first 25, 30 minutes. Mm. And the tires were over. And I think that's just, that's the difference between this Liverpool team this year and the Liverpool team of last year, how much they've evolved, is that they are actually good enough now to put men behind the ball and soak up pressure. Uh, as we don't think they were actually able to do that last year. Um and, and they were they were they were pretty much inviting Tottenham onto them. Uh, now obviously I mean there's an argument to be had that Tottenham played into Liverpool's hands because they'd done nothing yeah. with the ball, in my opinion, considering they had yeah. so much so much possession of it. But I suppose, yeah. I suppose we'll come to that, that point in a little bit. Now, just touching on the point that you raised there, the early, obviously the, the early goal or the penalty and how early it was given obviously changed everything. Um, with that in mind, right, mm-hmm. do you think it was a mistake for Harry Kane to start the game? Oh, yes, definitely. Um, like I uh, said in the beginning, while discussing with my um, mates, I did say that uh, Lucas Moore should start. Yeah. Or... It's not Lucas Moura, I mean, not Harry Kane, not just yet, because he's, he's he's been out for a few months. So you can't put him in into a game of that stature uh, with no game time and the minimal amount of preparation. So the ideal one would have been Lucas Moura, because he just scored and uh, took you through to the, to the final. He scored a hat-trick and took you to the final. So he should be a player, at, and obviously not just him, I mean, players at that level. If you score a hat-trick and you win a match of that big stature and you are in the final, you put your team through to the final, um, you expect to start the final, especially when your main striker is has been off, uh, off the field for a while and he's not played too many games. Yeah. So, I really thought that Lucas Moura would start, and Liverpool, I think, would have prepared for both scenarios because they would have expected Moura to start as well, but then they would have uh, prepared a scenario where Harry Kane is on the pitch. Yeah. Well, I th- so, I think, in my opinion, I think uh, it would have been ideal if Lucas Moura started and they went for pace with Mora and Son up front. Yeah. A bit to a bit of pace to pace and you can you can have a bit of trickery as well because Son is real I, I feel that Son is their best player. Yeah. Uh, for Tottenham. Uh, 
And with Lucas Moura as well, he he twists and turns, and he's yes, he's really quick, Lucas Moura. Yeah, so I, I think a couple of things in Pochettino. I think given the form of both teams coming into the final and the way both teams finish the season, I think going back to the points I raised earlier, I think Liverpool's team pretty much picked itself. So Klopp would have had a clear idea of the first eleven and how he wanted to approach the game because the games and the form dictated itself. Mm. Uh, Pochettino had a bit more of a decision to make and I think he backed himself into the corner. But when I look back at it now, at the decision, Mm. even though I think it's wrong, I can understand why he done it. And the reason being is I, I I agree. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have picked Harry Kane, and and he backed he backed himself into the corner because because he went one nil down early on, mm. and Kane was already in the, on the pitch. He could never take him off because when you need a goal, you don't want to be take, yeah. you don't want Harry Kane to be walking off the pitch yeah. at one nil. You want him to be on the pitch. So once one once Tottenham went one nil down, Kane could never come off. So Pochettino mm. backed himself into a corner tactically throughout that game because the substitutions were then limited and the system was then limited. Now, looking at it from a different way, mm. yes, looking at it from an attack point of view, I would have started with Lu- Lucas Moura and uh, and Min uh, up front, sorry. Uh, sorry for the delay there, uh, but but the reason uh, for, again for like I said, for the pace and the movement of the strikers would have caused Liverpool centre halves, but to play them two up front together, Tottenham would have had to play three at the back. Yep. Which where if you go back to the Anfield game and the Ajax game. It's mm. in the first leg in the first half and the first half at Anfield in the Premiership game that worked against uh, worked against Tottenham in both of those games mm. so I think he, he had a decision to make Pochettino in that regard do I play the two up front uh, or and play the three at the back or do do we play the one up front with one of them playing off him and go with two at the back uh, and I think that's I think that's the only reason in my mind that that justifies Harry Kane starting that game. Now, uh, Son and Mora would have caused Liverpool so many problems, not just with the pace, like you said, but they would have been able to pull the centre halves out wide. Yeah, with their movements, because they, they could create a lot of moved, them. Yeah, they could have moved into the channels, and it would have split Van Dijk. Uh, and yeah. massive up and it would have caused problems it would have created a lot more space for the midfield and it would have allowed Tottenham's midfield to move forward uh, and it would have suited the counter-attacking style as well yes but that way the case because he, he, he went for, um, he went for the four at the back so therefore he did have to play an out and out striker what also surprised me with the starting lineup, and not many people have uh picked up on this one maybe Tottenham fans have been able to elaborate a bit further but I would have started Davison Sanchez mm. instead of instead of 
Ooh, probably instead of Alderweireld. Mm. Yeah, now, I know that's a big cause. Maybe it was Alderweireld's qualities uh, over the last 18 months. He's certainly one of the best, on his day, he's certainly one of the best centre-halves yeah. in the league. But I just think this year... Vertonghen has been better. Yeah, I think Vertonghen has been a... Uh, has been a better player this year and I think Davison Sanchez has actually been one of one of Tottenham's best players as well mm. uh, but again that I don't think many people are fixated on that decision because Liverpool didn't really well by the usual standards play great attacking football mm. yeah so yeah I I, I think as soon as that one nil, as soon as Liverpool went one nil up, and as early as they went one nil up, I, I think top, I, the game is never over at one nil. But because yeah, because it's of the, just the second minute, so yeah. But I do mean to keep pushing. Yeah, uh, Pochettino, uh, Pochettino. I mean, maybe that's been the story of Tottenham's second half of the season. Uh, the indecisiveness showed tactically. And I don't. I, th- I think he. Uh, I think he got his tactics completely wrong from that point, and I think his substitution shown that, and it and it played into Klopp's hands. I felt a little bit there, and I thought throughout the game. At the, I don't know about yourself, but the more the game went on, I only ever see apart from. And pe- people have been arguing uh, in this country and in the media that Tottenham had the more chances. For me, the weren't chances, apart from the Mora one, uh, where Allison's gone down to his left-hand side and saved it. I thought all the rest were attempts on goal rather than chances. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you did. I didn't really look at any of them and go, oh, we should have scored that. They were I all think just sort there, of... There was just that, like, you, like you said, the Mora one and then maybe the Ericsson shot. Yeah. I'm not too sure how that was. Uh, I don't remember it exactly, but I remember Ericsson taking a was it a free kick or a loop? Uh, yeah. shot from outside the box? That was yeah. a good save as well. But pretty much everything else was pretty. Uh, the keeper of Allison's qualities uh, bound to save it. If he doesn't save it, then it uh, comes back to like what they did, uh, what Carries did last year. Not maybe yeah. not as much, but still. Yeah. No. No. Absolutely. Yeah. That again. Yeah. That's another point. If, if, if Tottenham would have scored one of those chances, I would have been looking at the keeper, thinking, yeah, he should have been saving them. Mm. Right. And, and what do you think uh, what if he started um, all the three Son on one wing more on the other and then Harry Kane up front and maybe have Ericsson behind then yeah. you have Deli Ali to bring from the bench so uh, yeah well yeah and Laurenti as well how, how was that what, what is your opinion on that yeah no that would again that, that would have been a lot more of a proactive and positive approach from him. Again, again, it was another a point I was going to raise. I wouldn't have started Deli Ali either mm. in the game, uh, just because of his lack of form. He's admitted it himself. Uh, he's not had a very good season. I mean, you could look at uh, most of the English players. Maybe, maybe it's a, maybe the World Cup. Uh, and how far England got in the World Cup last year had some kind of effect on that on their season, but mm. certainly, certainly for me the 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 uh, the, the attacking four 
uh, in which you just said there would have would have made a lot more sense to me. So I think if, if those were the attacking four with um, who were the midfielders there, Sissoko and who was the other one? Um, was it Bonyema? No, or Dyer in the no, midfield? Dyer came on, Dyer came on, didn't he? Yeah, Dyer, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Dyer came on the pitch. And who were the back four? Um, Rose, yeah. Alderweireld, Watson, and End. Yeah, so it was Trippier, Rose, Trippier, Rose, and uh, the two Belgian lads. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So with the attacking four, if those were the attacking four, I, I, you can certainly have space and width with Son on one wing. Yeah. Same case with uh, Lucas Moura, and then you have an attacking. I mean, a goal-scoring threat in Harry Kane and Ericsson with the creativity. That would have been the perfect start. I mean, if Pochettino wanted to start Harry Kane, I think this would have been the best option to go forward. I mean, yeah. start the game. Yeah. I mean... And it's not that uh, Spurs conceded towards the end. It's just, it's the first minute. So the whole game is left. You don't have to really... Uh, sit back after the first minute and first goal. I can understand yeah. if they are like two, if uh, Liverpool were uh, two up or three up in the first 15 minutes. But yeah, well, <laughs> you don't have to like wait for an opportunity, go for it. Yeah, I was quite surprised when he took Harry Winks off because mm-hmm. I actually thought he was Tottenham's best player. Uh, Winks was actually good uh, for the past few games, I think. Yeah, he played. He was controlling the ball well. Is a, I don't think he, he didn't really lose possession of the ball, and he he, he see it seemed like if Tottenham were going to do something, it was going to go through him. Now in the first half, there, I mean, there was a couple of chances where Tottenham could have maybe it was they were just lacking that cutting edge in the final third of the pitch. They were controlling play right up until the final third, and then it just sort of. He just didn't have anything in that final third. I didn't think Kane was fit. He certainly weren't match fit. Uh, Son yeah. uh, was getting Son was picking up good positions out wide, uh, and there was that one that, that one chance when he went through and he was one on one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Alexander Arnold, and he and he obviously he cut it out. But again, yeah, he, it, it, he it actually was, went past everybody. That was similar to that Messi kind of run. Uh, yeah. during the Barcelona game as well uh, he went past everybody but then he was forced to go wide yeah. rather than go into the goal and when you say um, Van Dijk for as big as he is he's pretty quick as well to react so he makes up uh, if he's gone past he actually makes up uh, using his speed for yeah. a big lad he's pretty quick and for a defender you know yeah so, I think Son's run was very good, like you said, but he was forced wide a bit so that he couldn't yeah. take a clear shot. Yeah, and I think, uh, like I said, Klopp's tactics, uh, I, I was surprised by that, but when I look at, I was surprised when I was watching the game that obviously Liverpool sat back and allowed Tottenham to come on to them. But then, mm. when I sat back, after the game, like the day after and the day after, I thought about it in my head. 
and I was reviewing it again, I was thinking it made so much sense for Liverpool to do that because, especially again, given the early goal, they probably looked at it and I think Harry Kane playing played into Liverpool's hands. I really do. And I think at that point they thought, well, they can't get in behind us here. Uh, they're going to be chasing us. And what and what Liverpool are very good doing, very good at doing, I feel, uh, and uh, this season has been a fine example of that, is when they don't control possession of the ball, they control the space that the ball is in. Yeah. And this, uh, I mean, this is a gr- it's a great example of the way they press the ball. Obviously, Liverpool and Klopp, well, Klopp more more so than Liverpool now, are obviously well known for the for, for the the Gagan pressing style of play. Yeah. Um, and Tottenham controlled the ball in midfield in this game, but Liverpool wanted Tottenham to control the ball because if you watch the game and the way the midfield was set up. Tottenham mm. only controlled the ball in the space that Liverpool allowed them to because Liverpool yeah. controlled yeah, they, that space in which the play was pl- being in. And again, apart they from... Didn't, they weren't able to create anything much, were they? Yeah. Yeah, they weren't. I don't go... Uh, <clears throat> pretty much as... You can't, not really sideways, but still, uh, they weren't going... They weren't cutting through the lines. They were not yeah. able to do that. Yeah. And... I think that was, uh, 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 and I think <clears throat> again, there was a lot of people. I don't know. I don't know about yourselves over in Australia, uh, and I know there was a. We all exchanged a few messages on our WhatsApp group, didn't we? Saying that the quality, uh, the quality within the final itself was was poor. Yeah. Now, I personally didn't agree with that. I thought it was a very tactically intriguing game, and I mean. As you know yourself, that that that's that's my fascination about football. That's where I love I love the tactical setup of a game and the tactics adopted and, and the tactical approach from each manager. So I thought it was very intriguing to watch, and I don't agree yeah. with yeah. conception that it was a poor final. I just think before the game, people were getting carried away because it was two Premier League teams. Yeah, and I completely, was, totally yeah, agree with what, what you I said. I think it was going to be end-to-end and yeah, yeah. it's going to be very open. And I completely agree, Chris, uh, <laughs> because um, even if you see that um, last game, Liverpool versus Tottenham at Anfield, Liverpool won 2-1, but uh, you could see that it was end-to-end pretty much the whole game. Yeah. And if you look at the you look at both the teams and how they play on a usual basis, it's pretty much an attacking football. So the media and the fans from both the clubs, they actually thought that, uh, well, uh, not just fans of both the clubs, but footballing fans um, around the world, they actually thought that it might be end-to-end. And like you said, um, when that happens and people create that overhype of, a particular event, not just football, anything. Uh, and if it doesn't live up to that, then it becomes a, a tactically naive uh, <laughs> event. Yeah. Uh, or or not, uh, not so well organized event. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, but 
uh, like you said, um, when that attacking football was not there, people actually called it boring. But you look at the scoreline, it's 2-0. So you, it's not always um, going forward and uh, trying to score in football. You've got to be adaptable to what um, the other other team's weaknesses are or strengths are and then play accordingly. So I'm pretty sure that um, there are many, many factors that played um, in Jurgen Klopp's head before yeah. he set up the team. What, the first and foremost, I think, would be last year's final, loss in the final. Yeah. Second would be um, uh, the game that they played against each other at Anfield. Although yeah. Liverpool won it 2-1, like I said, it was end-to-end and then it, it could have gone the other way if Sissoko had put the ball away. Yeah. Uh, or passed it to Son in that, that particular game. So, and third thing, you could even argue that uh, Liverpool going forward and missing a lot of chances during that Barcelona first leg yeah. could have cost them a place in the final. Yeah. Yes, they did come back, but uh, that could have cost them. So, I think he took everything into account and added to the fact that uh, uh, it could, Harry Kane could possibly play in the team. Yeah. He actually made a lot of difference. Uh, Harry Kane or maybe Lucas Moura. So Klopp actually made a lot of uh, calculations in his mind, I do believe. And tactically, he was he was good. Yeah. So intriguing, if that's the right word. It was an intriguing final. You can't... If it doesn't... Uh, if it doesn't happen to be a free-flowing attacking football these days, uh, fans and people just call it boring. I don't know why. But if you're a true football fan, you start to understand what it is all about. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Liverpool were massive favourites to win the game beforehand. I think that was given the form of both teams, though. Uh, yeah. Liverpool were quite relentless in their challenge for the title. They just seemed to keep winning and winning and winning every week. They weren't slipping up. And I mean, it they looked just lost like one game. What was that? Sorry, they just lost one game the whole season uh, yeah. in the league. I mean, yeah, exactly. And if you look at Tottenham's end to the season I think they lost eight out of their last 11 ooh yep no, something like that yeah it might be one game wrong either side there I don't know if it was 9 or 12 or maybe 7 and 10 or something like that uh, but yeah I mean and, 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 and I know I mean they got the uh, I think the best performance of the second half of the season was actually the Ajax game um, I mean you can oh, look, yes. yeah I mean, you can actually look at certain parts of both of those games and Ajax could have put that tie to bed easily, either in the first half, in the first leg, and in the first half, in the second leg. Second leg, yeah. The the chances that that team had in that game. Uh, But obviously, Liverpool won the game uh, 2-0, perfect perfect game from them tactically it would seem they set back they exhaled the pressure limited Tottenham's chances and then they brought Origi on who finished the game uh, yeah. so they, I mean you could replay that game a thousand times and every Liverpool fan will tell you and Klopp will tell you itself they wouldn't change a thing but if you were 
if you if you and Mauricio Pochettino and the Champions League final is tomorrow, mm. what would you do? Would you approach uh, the game in the same way, or would you? Uh, how would you uh, approach that now? I would actually go. Uh, like I said, uh, the front four. I would have, if I would start with probably that front four I told maybe a few minutes back uh, with Harry yeah. Kane up front. So and, Kane up front, Ericsson. Yeah. Uh, Son behind him, Son and Mora. Yeah. And then I would have had, uh, uh, yeah, all the others would have been the same. Yeah. Yeah. So because I, I wanted to try and because I know that uh, Alexander Arnold and uh, what's the other boy. Uh, Robertson, so they just they like going forward to whipping those crosses. Yeah. So that relieves pretty much Liverpool's uh, centre back pairing there. So if yeah. I, so as a manager, if I am able to use that and exploit that space um, behind the midfield uh, from an attacking point of view, I think that would have caused a bit more of a problem to Liverpool. Yeah, and even though, like I said, if if it was, if I did, if my team did concede in the first minute or the second minute, I would have still kept it, uh, kept the same tactics at least up until the first half. Yeah. Um, but I don't think that was the case. So yeah. So to answer your question, so I would have gone with that front four, and I would have kept pushing. Uh, at least still the first half. If yeah. it was a different scoreline, maybe I would change it around a bit. Maybe bring in... Obviously, if my team is down, I wouldn't take off any of those attacking four. I would add I would add into them, maybe bring in Lorente or Adele yeah. Ali, who can well, good, pretty much good headers of the ball. Yeah. And maybe I can have my fullbacks looking in across, uh, trying to find Kane or Adele Ali or Lorente. Uh, who can head it in? So, yeah, I would have that would have been my basic level of tactics. But it could change if the scoreline changed as well. But for the first half, I'm pretty sure that I would have kept push, asking my players to push on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would have pretty. I mean, again, I think uh, Pochettino would have looked at both the league games against yeah. Liverpool, the game at Wembley. And, uh, at the first, and I think it was September. Um, Tottenham approached that game, and they played the, they played the diamond in that game. So four four two diamond, and Liverpool. I mean, how that game finished two one to Liverpool. I remember watching that game that day and thought Liverpool could have been our sight. Could have been four yeah. or five six even uh, before Tottenham scored. And then yeah. I think Pacino would have looked at the game at Anfield and the fact that they started that day with three at the back. And again, Liverpool could have won the tie by half time. Mm. It won the game by half time, but then Tottenham switched it at half time and were very unlucky to lose the game in the end because they had chances in the yeah. second half to put Liverpool out of sight. Uh, and then obviously the own goals in the last minute uh, killed them off. So yeah, I think. I think uh, Tottenham had two games and so yeah. Tottenham I think had better chances in that uh, league game the second league game at Anfield yeah. 
than they had in the uh, Champions League. Because Champions League, the chances, people, what, what these people say as chances, they're not clear-cut chances. If you oh, take yeah. a shot, these people say that it's a chance. It's, it's not yeah, a chance, it's, 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 it's a shot and it's a shot attempt. on target. It, yeah. It's more of an attempt, isn't it, than a chance? Yeah, like, if you, chances, there is a, of at least a 70% and about chance of uh, taking a proper shot on goal or hitting yeah. the goal. Yeah. If it's a 50-50, you can't really call it as a chance. Yeah, no, yeah. I, 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 I'm with you on that one. Uh, but just going back to whatever, uh, going back to what we were saying there, so I think given the league... The league games dictated Pochettino. I, I, mm. I don't want to say too much because I would have thought, given the, I think he's focused on them a little bit too much. Um, mm. I thought they should have used the break a little bit better and, uh, and approached the game with a very much, this is a new game. Let's forget the season. Put it behind us. This is how I want us to play. Because I think this is what, what we'll do. Is where I think he, he sort of this is how I have to play because if we don't, Liverpool will win the game, and I think yeah. uh, I think that's the that's the approach he took. So it would have been nice or very intriguing to know. And going back to the point I raised earlier, it was a bit of indecisiveness by Pochettino. Uh, it would have been nice to see him take that. That, that attack, attacking mentality or the mentality to go and win the game by yeah. having trust in his own players uh, and I think I, I, I think his trust has gone in some of those players and I think the, uh, the summer transfer transfers uh, will show that mm. well, and, and do you think uh, yeah, it has to do something with uh, the pressure as well because most of these players they haven't uh, won a title so it's the same case with Liverpool as well. I mean, Klopp, Klopp also took them to a few finals, but yeah. they didn't win anything. But yeah. do you think last year's um, Champions so winning the league or winning the FA Cup and Champions League, these are like the top top competitions for these yeah. clubs. So playing a final and losing it or winning it and not playing a final, it actually, I do think that uh, uh, it does have an effect on the players because yeah. Liverpool would have learned from last year but Tottenham they would have also had that added pressure of uh, a trophy on the line and the Champions League final yeah what's your take I, on it yeah I, I think in some cases that works but then you, you could flip that on the other side and say well Liverpool might have been approaching the final with last year's final in the back of the minds and Tottenham were approaching the final with a fresh outlook. They haven't got yeah. nothing to. They haven't got any failures to look back on because they haven't mm. been there. So, I I think it was more. I think I think it was more the other way around. I think it was more the prem in for this specific final. Anyway, I think it was more the form in the league. Mm. I think uh, I honestly think. Pochettino didn't know what his best eleven was given Tottenham's form. Mm. Uh, I don't. I think he fixated too much on the Premier League games uh, rather than actually taking the game to Liverpool. I know the possession stat, stats will argue 
that Tottenham did take the game to Liverpool. But for me, they had no sort of plan when they were going forward. And yeah, I think Klopp took it as that, I know my best 11. This is how we're going to play. I know how we're going to beat them. Let's go out and do it. And I think in a one-off game in a final, I, that approach, that approach works. Mm, yeah. yeah. But, yeah, yeah look, Tactically, I think that Liverpool were much prepared, much more prepared than Tottenham, I think. They they were prepared, like we said in the beginning, they were prepared, they played a team that plays a similar style or style of system to that of Tottenham, and then um, they would have adjusted or adapted their style of play to all the different scenarios, including Harry Kane playing as a striker, or Lucas Moura playing as a striker, or even maybe the front four that I mentioned of Kane, Son, Moura, Eriksen. Yeah. So Liverpool overall, you should say that, I mean, you could say that uh, were more prepared. Yeah. From all, all the angles. Yeah, no, absolutely. And they were favourites to win the game. The results went pretty much as I expected it to in terms of Liverpool winning the game. Uh, I didn't expect Tottenham to win the game uh, beforehand because I just thought if Liverpool are anywhere near top form, they're the better team. They finished the the season strongly and now uh, they go on to next year's European Super Cup where they're going to pay Chelsea. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Now, just moving on to the Europa League final. uh, Yeah. Very intrigued to see uh, to listen to your take on it. Now, I've got to admit this this final itself, as we I said before about how I I had a certain opinion on how I thought the Champions League final was going to take place and how the match was going to get played out. I didn't have any idea how this game was going to go, mm. uh, just because. Both teams all season, throughout the season, have just been so inconsistent. One, there's been there's been stages where they both look great. There's been stages where they both look poor. There's been stages in the Europa League. I mean, the semi-finals themselves, uh, yeah. the Chelsea-Frankfurt game, where I thought Chelsea were lucky to get through, but then I watched Arsenal against Valencia and Arsenal against Napoli, and I thought they looked fantastic. Yeah. Uh, I just... I, it was just so it was so uh, so intriguing. I didn't I, I didn't know what what to expect from this game, and I, I certainly didn't expect the results. What did you feel about? Let's start with Chelsea. Given 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 the uh, I mean Chelsea is just Chelsea now. It happens every year, doesn't it? Uh, regarding yeah. the managers and the speculation about the managers, uh, and. It doesn't matter how well they do in the season. There's always speculation whether the manager's going to go at the end of the season. (laughs) So, yeah, given the uncertainty regarding Sarri and regarding Hazard, were you expecting Chelsea to play as well as they did in the final? Uh, uh, There's actually two takes on this uh, from my side. Yeah. So one would be, you can say that Chelsea actually played well. Yeah. The second one would be uh, Arsenal actually let them play well. 
Yeah. So, I mean, uh, looking at Chelsea, since you asked about Chelsea, I actually feel that uh, uh, it's, it, they've not, over the cu- past couple of seasons, um, especially when it comes to Chelsea versus Arsenal, it's it's been a 50-50 always. What if at Stamford Bridge, pretty much every time Chelsea wins and Chelsea comes to Arsenal, uh, Arsenal gets the win over Chelsea. It happened, and so the same similar thing happened in the FA Cup final a couple of years back as well. So, uh, in a competitive game, be it a semi-final or a final, um, I. I did feel that, before the game, I did feel that uh, it could, although both the teams are inconsistent, I felt that uh, players would turn up from both the teams and it could be either way. I couldn't really predict who's going to win it. Because especially after uh, the way I saw um, Arsenal... Um, what do you call play against Napoli and Valencia I, and at the same time during the same time period they um, were so bad in the league Arsenal and Chelsea on the other hand in the league they were towards the end they were much more consistent than Arsenal although they just finished a couple of points ahead yeah uh, they were the better team in the league towards the last five, six games. That's why yeah. they, they finished third and Arsenal finished fifth. Uh, but in the Europa League, it was pretty much opposite for Chelsea. Uh, they were just uh, nicking it through, just a 1-0, maybe yeah. a 2-1. You could see that at the uh, against uh, against uh, Frankfurt. It was 2-1. Oh, oh, no, it was 1-1. And then it went to extra time and then it was penalty and yeah. Frankfurt to be honest I felt um, had the better chances in extra time to go go through that game yeah uh, when it went to penalties I was pretty sure that Chelsea were going to go through because they had better penalty takers and probably a better keeper um, yeah yeah but then in the final I thought it was really a 50-50 until I saw that <laughs> first score line I mean, even up until halftime, I was pretty uh, convinced that it's going to be a close one because yeah. um, there were chances at both ends because Juru's uh, shot um, on goal in the first half, which um, checkmate brilliant save, uh, diving to his left uh, left hand side, and yeah. it was a shot towards the far corner. So I did feel that, uh, and on the other hand. Um, Xhaka had a shot, uh, which hit the post, and there were a few chances from Arsenal's uh, point yeah. of view as well. So, look, going to the first half, I really thought the second half might be similar, but then, you know, that's for both. So. <laughs> yeah, well, it was another thing that was quite intriguing about this was Emery's history in this competition. Is well, it's quite unique, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, given that and then you've got Sarri who he seems to be one of these modern day managers where he approaches the game he's got a philosophy he sticks Mm. to it he sticks to his formation he likes the way that that the game is played and he's 
he's glor- he's not glorified because he's a very good manager, but he's not won a trophy. Um, yeah. So uh, the foot, the modern day football hipsters, uh, the likes of Pochettino, Sarri, they actually prefer to watch these managers who've got philosophies and they stick by them, and the um, the approaches the approach the approach the game uh, in a very every game with a very similar fashion. Um, mm. But but they still lack they still that they still lack that experience of having that win, winning mentality. And I think that's what that was intriguing to me, and that, and that was another reason why I couldn't really put my finger on a winner in this game, because on one hand I was looking at Chelsea starting eleven, I'm thinking, yeah, it, it probably just it probably just pips Arsenal's in terms yeah. of strength and quality, but then I was looking at the managers thinking, Emery's got a lot more. Uh, a lot more experience in winning trophies. But, you know, every manager's got to start somewhere. And mm. now that he's got that one trophy uh, to his name, who knows what Sarri will go on and achieve. Um, yeah, especially oh, when he's going to Juventus, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, well, that, that's the way you're looking at the minute. Yeah. Um, the game itself, tactically, and again, I think, I think Giroud was the key in this game for Chelsea. Especially oh, yes. when, yeah, especially in that sort of 15, 20 minute spell where Chelsea won the game in the second half. Mm. Uh, he just seems, he, Hazard just seems to play better when Giroud's on the pitch. Mm. And he plays off him, he, he plays off him really well. And that combination was just, Arsenal couldn't cope with it in the second half. And it, I actually thought it was very. They were very fortunate for the game just, just to finish at four-one. Oh yes. Now, yeah. since you brought up Juru's um, point there, I always felt when even while when he was at uh, Arsenal, I always thought that he's a top player. He is not. You cannot call him the uh, what do you say, world-class striker, but. This movement of the ball for number nine, I, I, in my opinion, I do see it as world class because he is, he's, he's holding the ball is world class. Yeah. To play the one, one, two touch football, uh, right up the edge of the box, and after playing the one, two, he's tactically aware where to move, where the ball is going to go, or where a free space is. All those things, all those aspects of it, his heading is world class. Yeah. Um, so and he's, t- he's technically very gifted. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's, the only downside to his game is uh, he can't dribble past three, four players and then take a shot because he's he's a huge guy. Yeah. I've seen him. Um, I've actually seen many when Arsenal came here to Sydney yeah. in 2017. Uh, he's actually massive. Dribble. Yeah, and think, for a guy, for a guy of his size, it's not easy to dribble past everybody. Yeah, but if you, if you see his goal scoring record, even at Arsenal, he he scored hundred goals. He's reached two hundred goals uh, quicker than Man Persie, and Man Persie yeah. people consider as a world class striker. <laughs> yeah. So I always felt if and and you look at the system that France plays as well. Um, 
So there's Giroud up front. There is a reason, obviously, why Giroud has to play there instead of, yeah. say, someone like Benzema or Lacazette. Obviously, Benzema and Lacazette gives you more goals, but they give you goals when the ball reaches there to their feet. It's not yeah. uh, before that. So they can't do anything unless the ball reaches their feet. But with Giroud, uh, what I feel is you put in a crossway, be it a grounded ball or an air ball, his hold-up play is so good that he holds the ball, uh, he creates that space for Griezmann or an Mbappe yeah. to run into those spaces so that he can flick the ball, do a one-two and maybe uh, move into a different space and score. So he gives another dimension to the game played by France and I think he brings that to every team he plays. And yeah. like you said, he, he was really key in that. It's difficult to defend against him because first of all, he's huge and then he has this top-class movement around the defenders. Yeah, well, absolutely. I mean, the thing I like him is people, I think some managers, and I think particularly Sarri this season, because Sarri likes to play his 4-3-3, he likes to press, he likes his deep line, he likes a uh, midfield to, uh, to play deep and create as a pivot, like in Jorginho's mm-hmm. case. He likes a uh, box-to-box midfield at the side of him, in which Kante plays. Uh, and he likes that sort of midfield on the left-hand side that just operates um, centrally and in the final third. But if you watch his yeah. team, he likes, uh, and in particular that's that last se- not last season, the season before, in which Napoli finished second on 90-yard points, he played there. Uh, he played Mertens up front mm. as yeah. and he he, he he sort of operated as a false nine because he dropped deep to allow the inside forwards to come in behind him um, mm. now I think Sarri had that that way of playing in mind at Chelsea and that's why Giroud I don't think has been favourable in that nine, in that position because I think when yeah. you look at him, like like you said, they're touching on what you said. Because of his size, people automatically regard him as a target man, and yeah. that people are going to go long to him, and he's mm-hmm. that type of striker. But going back over the points you've raised, and I've raised, he's so much more than that. He's in some ways he's like a complete forward, because if a if a team wants to go down the flanks. And uh, and get crosses in his movement yeah. and uh, his ability in the box to score to get on the end of them is fine. But it, again, if people want to play down the middle because he's so good technically and he's so good at holding the ball, his movement coming away from goal and having his back towards the goal is just as good. So yeah. we can actually and as proven in this game in particular, he can still play as that lone striker as that number nine. But he can still play deep. He can still come deep towards the ball, and that's why. That's why it suits Hazard. Mm. And I think if Sarri and Chelsea would have picked up on that earlier on in the season, I think they would have made it. I think uh, they finished third eventually, anyway. But I think they finished third very much because Tottenham lost. Yeah, yeah. the way towards last game, but Chelsea would have actually had a more. Uh, I, th- I think he would have had a, a, a more convincing uh, finish to the top four places than, than what they did. 
Um, yeah, uh, with Giroud, um, even when he was at uh, Arsenal, like I said, uh, there was Sanchez, Alexis Sanchez, uh, yeah. and also behind these two. So, so Giroud was up front, uh, Sanchez was on one side. On, on the other side, used to be uh, Oxlade-Chamberlain or Walcott or maybe Nairobi. But yeah. uh, So with Sanchez on one side, you've got a goal scorer there. So what? it was pretty much similar. So there, were, there used to be this one-two touches, flick-ins. So like you said, um, there can be a cross, there can be a grounded ball, He's always there. He's he's so technically gifted that he knows not just where to move, but when to hold the ball, when to flick a one-two, or when to play it back to the uh, the the number ten or to the running uh, running uh, winger. Yeah. And he's used uh, the same way in France as well. Like I said earlier, if a team, um, if if Chelsea, like you said. Uh, had picked up on it, Chelsea and Sarri picked up on it, and if Giroud played up front with Hazard, uh, Hazard as the number 10, or maybe, uh, yeah, Hazard as a number 10, and maybe used Pedro on the wing. Yeah. It could have been a bit better season for Chelsea. Yeah. They finished third, yeah, but they probably would have get, uh, gotten another 10 points, yeah. in my opinion, as well. So I agree to you that. Yeah. Now, the game itself, when I was watching it, there was a brief moment there when when, uh, when Arsenal got a 2-1 mm. and they got the goal. Again, there's... Both it was teams, 3-1. 3-1, wasn't it? Um, I thought, no, I thought they pulled it back at 2-0 and then they went 3-1, 4-1. What was it? Um, yeah, it's been a Great. while now, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, because I know Giroud scored. Uh, Hazard, Pedro scored. Was yeah, it? Giroud no, scored, but... Pedro scored. Oh no, then Hazard scored, and then it will be scored, yeah. Yeah, Sorry, my there was a penalty right two two minutes after. Yeah, yeah, I forgot about the penalty, yeah. But yeah. even at 3-1, uh, there was a moment there where I thought, hold on, Chelsea, uh, Arsenal could get back into this. Cause yeah. Like I said, Chelsea under Sarri, Chelsea are a very attacking team. They post the game the same way. They play they they play very they they play out from the back, and when they do, the defense is very wide because mm. centre half drop and to create space for Jorginho for him to get the ball. So they play they play with width. They defend they defend wide. So th- there's always gaps there to exploit if the team approaches a game in a certain way. Uh, but then I suppose when you've got a player like Eden Hazard going the other way, um, mm. you 3-1 down, it's only a matter, and, and you're attacking the game, there's only a matter of time. Now, he's Chelsea's number one player. Now, yeah. over the last 12 months, 12 months ago, sorry, you would say Mesut Ozil is... Arsenal's number one guy. Now the last mm. twelve months, and certainly under Unai Emery, he's uh, he took a back seat, shall we say? How yeah. do you? Well, first of all, how did you see his performance in this game? Uh, he's another character, isn't he? <laughs> I yeah. mean, 
the quality is there. You can't deny that. He's a, um, you, you look at his ability or his quality as a player, he's, you can put him right up there. But the problem is, is, uh, is the way he turns up to game. You can maybe call it, uh, call that his character is like that. He's not, yeah. he's not that aggressive kind of a player. Because if, if you look at how he was at Real Madrid, he had the luxury of uh, Ronaldo in front of him. So yeah. Um, but I'm not taking anything away from him for all his assists and things like that, because he won um, German Player of the Year for I think four four years in a row, five years in a row, something like that. Yeah. So so he can't win it with his national team as well. Um, I mean. Uh, and Germany at the time was like uh, the team to beat, so yeah. there was a lot of lot of good players in that team. So quality and ability wise, I would say that uh, Ozil is still a very good player, top top player. But I think the uh, speed of the Premier League is a bit too much for him. Yeah, I think I mean, technically pretty- he's very good, but the problem is like. Uh, or maybe you could even say, like, when it was Sanchez who was playing um, alongside him, Sanchez was a winger. So he had that width to either go uh, to the wings with Sanchez on there, or he could go up front straight through the middle where Giroud was there. So both the options were available to him. Yeah. Now, it's I feel, what I feel is, if he plays that ball over the defender for Lacazette, Chances are Lacazette getting there is a 50-50, you could say, because Lacazette is a small guy. Although his older plays as good, if not better than Giroud. And he's quick, he's technically very good. And he scores a lot of goals as well. But you you don't have that option of going about and behind the defender, like how he had against Giroud. So I think most of the time he goes with Aubameyang and once player. And Aubameyang... Uh, thing is, I think most of the team knows that he's a top player. Yeah. So he's he's there already. Uh, I mean, he's being marked already by the defenders. So he, people know that uh, he could cause a threat from the wing. Um, so when Aubameyang, he, when he's covered, there is no option in the middle where Aubameyang has, can, can put a cross in. Most of the times, if you look at Arsenal, the crosses that they put are low crosses. The number of headed goals are less. And against and in the Premier League, I think uh, most of the defenders are really physical, tall, strong. So in that, to play against such kind of teams on a regular basis, um, for a player like Ozil, you need that physical presence as well up front. Otherwise, it becomes a little because he. His balls are usually through the ground. Yeah, I mean, so to me, uh, it's, it's difficult to call. I mean, for his wages, that, that's another thing. I, I I don't really like talking about wages because, uh, yeah, I, can't, I I'm a player myself, so <laughs> I understand what the players go through. Um, uh, but for what he's getting. Um, I'm not questioning his ability, but he should be putting in a bit more. Yeah. Because people look, 
he should be like the go-to person uh, for Arsenal to create him. I, I'm not expecting him to score like 20, 25 goals, but I do expect him to score 10 to 15 goals and maybe provide similar number of assists as well, just like yeah. how Hazard does. Well, yeah, I think, I mean, he needs to leave Arsenal for me. I mean, it's quite clear that he doesn't fit Emery's style of play. He doesn't yeah. fit the system that he wants to play. And I actually give full credit to Emery for actually coming into the club this year and saying, You're, he, he hasn't said it publicly, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's basically made it known that this play is not for him. Now, mm. at Real Madrid, also played number 10. Jose Mourinho played a 4-2-3-1 and he played as number 10. And... Uh, the system suited him now I felt sorry for him at Arsenal under Wenger because Wenger tried to operate him out wide left on yeah. occasions um, mm. and obviously that would uh, it was very much to obviously he was to bring the play back and when it, when he could attack wide but then he could come in narrow and obviously the, the, the full back would overlap and things like that and obviously because of the way Arsenal Wenger's teams play there was always a lot of movement in front of him in the final third. But he yeah. he got away, he was pushed out wide because Wenger's teams didn't traditionally go and harass opponents yeah. uh, when they were not in possession of the ball. So he was put out wide so he didn't have to do that centrally because when he plays centrally, unless he's playing as a 4-2-3-1 in a 4-3-3 system like Arsenal played on the Wenger, he was a liability because if you don't press and that's or you're not good off the ball in that kind of... He creates of a hole in the middle. Yeah, he, exactly. He creates a hole and he leaves the other, he, he leaves the other two uh, midfielders playing as a two, uh, which is not the idea of the formation, of course. So he was pushed out wide on the Wenger, which didn't really suit him, his style of play either, though, uh, because I think he's better centrally, but as a 10 or playing in a 10 role, not playing deeper. So I think for his career he needs to he needs to leave the club. Uh, I think Arsenal need for for them as a team to push on. I think they need them to leave the club. And I think it'll be uh, I think it'll actually be very sad for both of them if he stayed on longer than this summer. I thought the game itself against Chelsea uh, I was very surprised he started the game against oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, you and me. Very surprising starter, given the fact that we touched on it earlier with how Sarri plays. The whole world knows how Sarri plays, what his approach is. He knows they play possession football, they play wide, they they like to get the ball forward. They're not a direct team. Uh, They they play vertically. They're always constantly uh, passing forward. but they keep possession of the ball. It's quite a unique style. But when when they lose the ball, they like to press and they like to harass opponents and they and they press in numbers. So given uh, Ozil's nature and the way he is, it just didn't suit Arsenal for him to play that game. I think, and I think that's where I wouldn't say that. I think it'd be unfair for me to say that's where the game was lost because it's not. There's so many other contributing factors to that, but. Uh, I, I, I think I think attacking wise Arsenal would have uh, benefited from a player 
maybe a Wobie starting the game. Yeah, even I, I was someone who can run with the ball or someone who can offer an actual goal scoring threat, uh, given yeah. the movement of the other two players that started for them. Yeah, yeah. Even I was actually asking for Ruby to start. I mean, the front three of Ruby, Lacazette, and uh, Aubameyang on the other wing. Um, yeah. So I would have gone with that as well. Um, yeah. But because the problem currently is. Although people say that Aubameyang plays on the wing, it's not really on the wing. It's pretty much like, uh, uh, you could say, it's Aubameyang and Lacazette up front with Ozil behind them. Yeah. Aubameyang shifts a bit to the uh, wing because he wants to give, try and give that width as well as a different option. Uh, yeah, but like we said earlier in... In Arsenal's system, he was put out wide. But uh, the thing, like I said, pointed out before, uh, what that did to him was he was able to cut in, and when while Bellerin makes a overlap on his side, he's so Bellerin gives the width on on the right side. Yeah. On the other side, it's um, Alexis, and in the middle is Giroud. Yeah. So he and with Giroud, like I said, he can go up. Up, uh, up and top behind defender, he can go play a grounded ball. With Alexis, he can play a through ball or to his feet, and Alexis takes on players. And if on on his own side, he, if Bellerin does make an overlap, he can pass it to Bellerin, who can do a cross, low cross or high cross where Giroud and yeah. Alexis are waiting. But in the current system, it's like he's not getting that width um, on either side. If he's playing central, and if Aubameyang goes to one side. He's pretty much, and also being left-footed, he's pretty much going there towards yeah. the wing. He's a player that needs movement in front of him. Yeah, uh, he, he, he you, give him sp- you give him space uh, on the ball and you give him movements in front of him. He's one of the most dangerous midfielders in the world. Yeah. Uh, like, like I said, going back, in his prime, or in Germany's prime, the uh, 2014 World Cup, uh, and the period before and after that, I mean, he's one of the most influential players, and you don't you don't get in that team if you're not a good yeah. player. But yeah. I just think he he's not backed himself, but I mean, he's he's allowed himself to become a scapegoat for this Arsenal team because of his approach to the game. Yeah. I don't think that's fair. I think obviously a lot of players, a lot of uh, fans. Uh, even fans from other teams not just Arsenal fans actually get frustrated that in, in this country for that but he just I think he just doesn't um, I think yeah. that actually comes down a lot to the fact that he's been paid a lot if he's on 100k people won't bother you get what I'm saying yeah I, I mean people knows that he has the ability but it's just that amount of money because these days it's all about money and when, yeah. when you look at uh, the wages that he's getting uh, that's what bothers people and the performance yeah. he's putting on and because people people what people do is uh, they look at his wages and they look at his stats as a player they know that he's good so now what after this what people does is they look at a similar kind of player say suppose an Ericsson Christian Ericsson yeah. They look at 
how much Ericsson is earning, and then they look at Ericsson's stats. Yeah. And clearly, Ericsson is providing a better stat. But overall, as a player with technical abilities, is Ericsson as good as Ozil? Probably not. No. Or or maybe he's he's maybe catching up, but. I mean, they're both very good players, aren't they? But I can see your point. Uh, the, I mean, the argument's there to be had between them. Yeah, so if, if, if Ozil was on maybe 100 or 150, which is like a normal salary, a normal wage yeah. for a top player these days, um, then the debate would have not been as much as it is now, I believe. Um, yeah. I could be wrong, but I think that is a main factor why people bring him up always. Yeah, I think I think it certainly plays a part. But going back to the game itself, Chelsea clear winners in the end, four one. Yeah, clear, clear. Could, could could have been thoroughly beaten. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, could could have been more in the end. Yeah. Uh, it'll be very interesting to see what type of. Uh, summer or pre-season that both teams had uh, obviously Emery's going to be very much there next season uh, yeah. uh, I think there was I think they certainly progressed uh, as a team under them uh, Arsenal this year in terms of their tactical oh, probs definitely, definitely yeah, they sh- especially they sh- when you look at uh, what Arsenal has been uh, under Wenger and uh, yeah. over the last two decades or more um Wenger brought in a certain style and certain brand name to Arsenal and put Arsenal where they are currently, and to take take up from that regime and then uh, do what Emery has done with the limited amount of budget and yeah. with the players that uh, not necessarily that he wants. Uh, I think he's done a really good job in the first season. Yeah. He's, it's he's, not like a, it's not like a for any other manager who goes to a club where it's the same hierarchy and it's just a uh, set of players that you have to work with. The whole yeah. regime, the whole system, uh, everything uh, that that's been built over the last twenty twenty two years is yeah. going to change. I think that's a bigger challenge. Yeah. And the game itself, did you uh, did you feel the atmosphere? I mean, there was a lot of talk. Oh, oh God. Uh, a lot of talk about the game being hosted in Azerbaijan. Oh, that's that, choice for that the game. Was, Do you think the atmosphere was flat? Uh, it was really flat. It was bad. Yeah. Not just flat, it was bad. But I, I, I had uh, a few friends from uh, uh, the UK and even in Australia who travelled to the game and they were telling yeah. me it was really bad. They, they felt it was like a pre-season friendly you, or you could even argue that the preseason friendlies were better. <laughs> yeah. Because I, I went yeah. to the friendly, uh, preseason friendly tour when Arsenal came here in uh, uh, 2017. So that atmosphere was even better, I feel. Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, it was, yeah, it was just 6,000 tickets and 6,000 tickets uh, for two clubs that are worldwide known. It's not just any club. Both the clubs are known worldwide. They have a big fan base, and then you put six thousand tickets. And the funny thing is, both the clubs were not able to um, sell out the six thousand. Yeah, I think the location. Uh, location, yeah. Attributed to that, I think 
Uh, there was this interview. Um, so, sorry, um, you have to go a bit uh, off topic here, but yeah. I just want to bring that location factor out. Um, because there was this um, email or a letter that Arsenal sent to UEFA regarding the location and the uh, concerns uh, about hosting the final day. So uh, I'm not going into detail of what Arsenal said, but uh, I just touch upon uh, what UEFA said as a response. So what UEFA said was that uh, the locations for the finals are decided maybe a couple of years. It was, it's not just one year, two years prior. So so this year's final was decided maybe around 2017. The really? final location for the final, not it's it's uh, the it's not about the draws. It's just the location for the final of those competitions. Yeah. So they don't know which teams come in the competition or which teams yeah. uh, reach the finals. Uh, that was their argument. But even to yeah. that argument, you could you could maybe raise another concern or a point that uh, at least one of the teams that play in the Europa is going to be a big team. If you look yeah. at the history over the last few years, it's been a big team. It's been Sevilla. It's been Man United, Chelsea was there. Um, then there's Atletico Madrid, and there's yeah. Lyon. All these are big clubs. They have a yeah, big of course, so, yeah. So you, they, they should probably consider a better location. I mean, you can yeah, they've got it, especially now that the Europa League winners go into the Champions League. They should be expecting teams to uh, be, be taking the competition seriously. And like you said, you will get some big teams trying to win that. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm more likely to be in the final, but um, that's brought an end to the show uh, or this week's show. Yeah, anyway. it was good. It was good. Uh, a lot of good points raised and a good time discussing uh, the two games. Yeah, and I yeah. just we actually uh, the funny thing is we we planned for a shorter show, but once we start talking, yeah, there's a lot of things <laughs> yeah, to yeah. discuss, isn't it? Yeah. Well, both games had so much uh, going on and we we had to cover all points. But I'd just like to say thank you uh, to all the guys that will listen to this. Uh, Please log on to the TNA website. There's plenty more articles uh, and podcasts for for your pleasure. And uh, we see you again next week.